Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media, where our passion is our profession. I'm Jeremy Carp. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are listening or viewing or watching, whatever. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. So we got a pretty good show for us tonight. We got Christopher Miles, who's going to be on in just a couple minutes. Um, we're going to be talking all about his career, and we're going to be paying a touching tribute to uh, the late, great Scott Hall, otherwise known as Razor Ramon, who sadly passed away on Monday at the age of 63. Later on, um, Interstate 70 Sports Media Insider James Knox, also who hosts Knox's Corner, will be joining us because... Folks, there is so much going on in free agency in baseball, especially with spring training underway. It's interesting. I'm gonna I would love to take partial credit for it, but I I just can't. I'd love to though. That literally the day after last week's episode with uh radio host Rick Anthony, the lockout ends. And we had talked a lot on that show last week about getting this lockout over with. So Personally, I think it ended because Adam Wainwright did a song to the commissioner, and honestly, just pull at your heartstrings. I'm telling you, it was absolutely wonderful. With that said, there is a lot to cover. Um, one quick piece of news I want to get to first. And I a part of me is surprised, but a part of me isn't surprised. And that's the fact that Tom Brady has returned for a 23rd season now look okay it i don't know I, I really don't know how to react to this one because i don't think he's going to go the brett Favre route where he's going to retire and unretire every single year but at the same time i mean he says that he has unfinished business. Now, a guy that has about seven Super Bowls, multiple MVPs, and 15 Pro Bowls has unfinished business? Look, he must be the most determined man on the face of the planet because you give me just two Super Bowls, give me one. Hell, get me on the team in $50,000, and I'd be like, I accomplished a lot. But to each your own. So Brady's coming back to the Buccaneers, so we will see. If anybody should feel bad, though, about it, it's not Patriots fans. It's not Rams fans. If anybody should feel like absolute crap about that news, it's Aaron Rodgers. He finally locked in a big-time contract, over about $156 million guaranteed. And he's like, I'm the top dog in the NFC, finally. I'm only 38. Finally got that top dog seed. And Tom Brady's like, hell nah, bro. I'm taking control. So that's where we're at right now in the lovely NFC. Meanwhile, you guys got Russell Wilson going to the Denver Broncos. You got Jarvis Landry leaving the Browns. You got Deshaun Watson either joining the Browns, Falcons, Panthers, Saints. There's a lot going on in the NFL. You know, I told you later on, James is going to be on to talk about the NFL, or I'm sorry, MLB. But I'm telling you, we got so much covering for the NFL right now. And you can follow us on Twitter at Interstate 70 Sports Media to get more. In fact, just a recent news that came out. Von Miller's going to Buffalo on a six-year, $120 million deal. And on top of that, they're looking to add tight end O.J. Howard as well. The Ra Oakland or ugh, Las Vegas Raiders signed uh, linebacker slash DN Chandler Jones and traded for Ningakwe from the Indianapolis Colts. 
Zadarius Smith returns to the Ravens on a $35 million contract. And I'm telling you, folks, we're just getting started with this. There is so much news left. But let's not keep our esteemed guest waiting any longer because he is a dear friend and he's one of the best in the business when it comes to officiating. I mean, I'm telling you right now. And by the way, thanks, Chris Rodell. The voice of Dynamo Pro Wrestling, Chris Rodell, is tuning in. You can catch him on Tuesday nights at the Russell Talk podcast. And in the future down the road, we're going to have him here on Roundabout Sports because there's a lot of hockey that needs to be discussed on this show as well. With that said, I think it's time to bring in another familiar face from Dynamo Pro Wrestling. He has been in the business for quite a long time, and he's got a lot of charm to him. But at the same time, he is not the type of guy you want to piss off. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome to Roundabout Sports, the one, the only, Christopher Miles. That was uh, quite the introduction, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome, Chris. How you doing, buddy? Outstanding, man. So we're going to kick it off right away. We got to bring it up. You know, Monday, we all got the tragic news that uh, Scott Hall had passed away. Yeah. And for those that don't know how it happened, you know, because I had people ask me if he had relapsed or anything. No, what had happened was he was having hip replacement surgery and complications came up when a blood clot got loose and it caused three heart attacks and yeah. they put him on life support and they were just waiting for the family to get there. And once they all got there, they took him off of it and... 63 years old, I'm telling you, you know, and we want to say we're surprised, but in the industry we're in, you, you know, premature yeah, deaths. The industry we're in and it being Scott Hall, we thought this was going to happen 15 years ago. And the fact that he turned it all around and was, you know, for the most part, walking the straight and narrow these past 10 years was amazing. Yeah, I remember when, and I know you remember when uh, DDP was, after he had already was getting uh, Jake the Snake Roberts back on track with his life, they had both called Scott Hall, and he was just so out of it. He was saying he was drinking vodka and taking pills for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the harsh reality. You know, you see this guy back in the 90s, and he's this cool, suave, bad guy. You know, he's got all the gold chains, the earrings. He's got the gold around the waist. But then you see him, you know, in the early 2010s, and he's being picked up from the airport in a wheelchair. Yeah. And, you know, he's only in his 50s, if not late 40s at that point. And it's just like a lot of people, they always say they can't wait to meet their heroes. Well, sometimes, you know, depending on when, Sometimes meeting your heroes can be bad. Yeah. I mean, if you had met Scott Hall at that point, there was a viral video a few years ago, 10 or more years ago now, that was an internet pay-per-view for some indie wrestling company where they had Scott stumble to the ring and, like, you know, barely able to get into the ring and throw a half a punch. And so many people, just incredible, X-Pac, were so pissed off that they still put him in the ring in that shape. So... And again, his turnaround was amazing, and it's it's sad to see him go, but I'm glad that he got a good quality of life out of those last few years as opposed to the way how he was living. Okay. 
Um, no, I absolutely agree. And it's just, you know, and, th and that happens a lot too. They push them out there for the sake of being able to sell tickets, get that notoriety. Like, Hey, we got Scott Hall at this event. You guys got to come out. But at the same time, you got to look after the health of, you know, the wrestlers because yeah. they are human. And on top of that, Bret Hart said something that really struck a chord with me. And I know you had saw it well as well, you know, especially back in the day when wrestlers are on the road 330 plus days a year. And, you know, Bret Hart said, if the road wasn't as rough as it was, a lot of my friends, you know, and in his case, obviously, Owen, his brother, would still be with him. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Like, being a professional wrestler, being a referee, being an announcer, being in the professional wrestling business takes so much of a mental and physical toll on you. You know, and that's why I think, and I had mentioned this to Luke Roberts a couple weeks ago, why he, for one, gets insulted when people criticize the business because they don't yeah. truly know what it's like being on the road. He says, hey, if you want to criticize us, get in the ring and take a bump. Mm -hmm. Even from my perspective, you know, as a ref, I don't bump nearly as much, if at all, as much as the boys do, but it still is a toll on the body. Because you're still sliding around, you're still you still are bumping occasionally, and you're running around six, seven times over the course of a night, maybe. And it's it's not easy. If it was easy, again, everyone would do it. And and until you've had the wherewithal, the training, and the guts to step through those ropes, shut up. Right now. You are, like you mentioned, a referee. What got you into becoming a professional referee? Okay, so years and years ago, when I was a younger man, still had some hair, I uh, briefly trained as a worker. Um, I got hurt in an incident outside of training, had to step away. In the time that I was gone, uh, I had a death in the family, and I had to handle that. I had to help the family out with certain situations. And then, you know, life happens. I met someone, had some kids, and that dream kind of went away. And But I still came to shows all the time. And it got to the point where, you know, a, a couple local workers were like, you know, we do need a ref, and you're here all the time. I think you'd be good at it. So I went down to Dynamo Pro Dojo and started training to do some referee work and got apt fairly quickly. And started working shows not long after, and it all rolled downhill from there. There you go. How many, because I know you personally from your work in Dynamo Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the other promotions you've had the pleasure of being an official for? Uh, so MMWA over at South Broadway. I've worked for them a bunch of times. Worked a couple of shots for Pro Wrestling Epic over in Alton. And they're all uh, very different and good in different ways that's why i love the st louis indie scene i don't think that there's one company that provides the same thing anyone else does you've got companies that have a very old school wrestling feel you have companies that are trying to be the more athletic uh realistic style of wrestling and you have ones that are trying to to cater to that ecw aew audience those those hardcores that want to see that and there's a little something for everyone in every company in the area. 
which I love. Oh, absolutely. I think St. Louis is, you know, people always talked about how for the longest time St. Louis was a just a travel hub, but honestly, it's a wrestling hub, you know? You know, I mean, if you go back to the days of the NWA and St. Louis being the headquarters and St. Louis being the showcase, you know, you, you can make a point for – it's hard to argue that right now that Chicago, as far as mainstream wrestling, AEW, WWE, is as being the hub. That's where they focus on this part of the country. But St. Louis is right there and for decades was was the biggest piece of the Midwest puzzle, the Mid-America puzzle. Oh, absolutely. And so who was a big early mentor for you when you were starting to get into the game of officiating and everything? So right off the bat, it's it's weird the way that modern wrestling works is that you train with the workers a lot. So, you know, I was in there mixing it up and I was in there and the trainers, you know, Sadie Blaze helped me out a lot. Luke Roberts, as far as psychological stuff, he didn't get there and roll around with me, but he did a lot of help. Uh, Camaro Jackson, Mike Outlaw really helped in informing, you know, my ring positioning and my movements and just cardio and all that stuff. And just pretty much anyone involved with Dynamo at that point or the other companies that I've worked for give me a little something. But if I went on air down to like four people, it would be, you know, Sadie, Sadie Blaze, Luke Roberts, Camaro Jackson, and Mike Outlaw. And honestly, it's an amazing quartet of guys. And quick side note, um, I know I want to take this time for, and I know you would be all for, is we send out our biggest condolences to Mike Outlaw and his family on yes. – the loss of Mike's mother, you know, um, anybody that knew her knew how much she loved the business, loved her son, you know, was right there through everything in his career. And Mike, mm -hmm. dear friend of both of ours and one of the toughest SOBs you'll ever find in wrestling. So our deepest thoughts and prayers are out with his family and himself at this time. Absolutely. Um, so you're talking about like guys like Luke Roberts, Sadie Blaze. First off, let me tell you something. I'll never forget my first time meeting Sadie because um, I had talked to him a long time before I actually met him in person. But I'm down there in the locker room at Dynamo Pro, and he has the kendo stick. And he told me uh, he, was, he said he was going to hit me with it and, like weeks before. And I told him, I was like, I'm ready for it. I'm not mm -hmm. afraid. I was like, look, I see what the guys in the ring do on a, on a weekly basis. You think I'm going to be afraid of a hit in the back? And I didn't flinch. He did not hit me, but he told me, he said, if you flinched, I was going to hit you. <laughs> I could buy that. Yeah. Like that is kind of what Sadie's all about. So well, I always I mean, got a kick out of that. <laughs> you know, those that don't know, you have been commentating for Dynamo for a little while now. Yep. And Mad respect to the commentators on top of, you know, the boys and the rest and everyone else, because you guys can be in the line of fire just as much as anyone else. There's been numerous times that, you know, Jim Ross has been hit by an errant wrestler or yeah. Tony Schiavone or the timekeeper, you know, where Rodell sits as the ring announcer, Howard Finkel, Lillian Garcia, they've been hit. So anyone that sits around the ring gets my respect as well. Just because you haven't stepped through the ropes doesn't mean that you're not a vital part of the show and are in just as the line of fire as we are. Right. And for as much shit as we love giving Rodell, I mean, he is such a 
crucial part of Dynamo Pro, you know, and we're, that doesn't mean we're not going to give him crap anymore. We're still oh, going to, yeah, but the chops uh, all day. exactly. When, but he, we know how much we got love for him. And he's one of the best in the business at what he does. He's uh, nobody better. I think than setting the scene, he makes you feel like that match is important or that moment's important. And I just love when, honestly, I love when the snitch and him just have any type of confrontation because, yes. you know, Chris don't even have to do anything. He's just there, and the snitch is like, what did you do? I didn't do anything. Read this. Read this note I presented you. (laughs) So, you know, you had mentioned about how a lot of us around the ringside take bumps, you know, as well. Mm -hmm. What was the worst bump that you can recall taking as a referee? Okay. This was actually fairly recent. This was a... Local hardcore wrestling legend outcast retirement match. And uh, I was ill positioned. I was oh, in the no. corner watching them climb up some chairs and I was trying to get to where I could see them both and everything like that. And uh, Snitch pushed outcast off and he just glommed me hard in the corner, <laughs> forearmed me real good, busted my lip wide open. Oh. I, was, I was bleeding pretty well onto the mat. And I'm like, oh, God, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to get my faculties. I'm trying to get back up because I got to finish this match. Now, another uh, great local referee, H.D. Daniels, he came in and tried to help. Unfortunately, he messed the whole thing up, declared <laughs> the wrong winner. But um, I was just I was a bit out of it. I, my lip was swollen for a few days and I just had this blood running down my face. And I'm like, oh, that's new. Uh, yeah, that, um, because people don't realize, you know, they take just as much of a bump as anybody else. And yeah, honestly, and I wish not for the sake of getting to see you get hurt. Cause I don't ever want to see that, but I wish I was there for that match because I've heard so many great things about that match between those two and outcast has, I've been friends with outcast probably for gosh, eight years now mm-hmm. you know one of the first guys i met when i was starting to really start going to more wrestling shows and you know when i started being a commentator for dynamo pro he obviously was one of the big him adrian surge camaro jackson those guys welcomed me right in you know and that's one of the biggest feelings which is why i'm kind of pissed at the snitch for uh for winning that match um yeah. but uh, what so, okay, that's your worst experience as far as actually taking a physical bump. As a referee's perspective, what's the worst injury you've had to be like, okay, you know, throw up the X, get someone out here. This dude's really messed up. Okay, there was an answer. So those that are familiar with the wrestler Carlito, he had the backstabber move where you put your knees in your back and he would fall back and that was his finish. Um there was a show in Arnold a few months ago and this gentleman took the move and I, I guess it, it just hit in the exact right spot. Cause he went yeah, a little I limp. remember that. He went a little limp and it was like, <sighs> and I, I, I lean in, I'm like, Hey man, are you okay? Do you need me to stop? He's like, yeah, I need to stop it. I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. So I ring the bell and it's like, I don't know what, I mean, I'm doing what I'm told to do here. I'm doing what I think is best for his safety. So I'm like, but we're, we're done. It's over. 
I remember that because Luke, myself, I remember Sadie went out there. I remember, mm-hmm. and I, I remember Luke and I who were at ringside, we were checking on him. And I remember um, the fact that the guy that got injured um, literally was this close to jumping the guardrail and beating the shit out of a fan who was just heckling him the entire yeah. time. Being a pan- yeah, and I wasn't pleased. I, like, I try and maintain professionalism and character. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to. But I that person was just calling him a pansy and a wuss and all that. I'm like, I will end you. I will jump the guardrail. But I'm not going to. I'm going to get him to the back. Say it again. Say it in the next match. <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, yeah, we, must say, I was gonna... we must say he was okay. He ended up being okay. It was just, it was a stinger. It was, it was temporary. It, by the end of the night, he was fine. So that's good. But yeah, that was the big thing. It wasn't too much long yeah. later. He uh, was able, it was just a big stun for him. Yeah. And, you know, when you got a guy who's on the ground, like not moving. Obviously, we're all going to be like, oh, shit, what's going on? Like, it was full-on panic mode because we were worried. But, you know, and as a referee, I feel like you got to really be quick with the reflexes, with the reactions, because, Mm -hmm. you know, anything can go wrong at any given moment, and you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. Is that something that, you know, they teach you, or is it just kind of something that, goes with the flow it's it's definitely taught because i made that mistake early on there was times where i wasn't checking on the people enough and people would say hey you need to check on them more and honestly i should have because in my real life i have an emt background so it's like knowing what i know i should have been in there checking on but in for the first little while given that i hey, these guys are professionals they know what they're doing i would only check a maybe a big spot because sometimes it's those little spots that you don't think are the ones that are going to hurt you that hurt you the most. So you slide in, hey, are you okay? Can, can, can you continue? I'm better at that now. That, that was my lesson to learn in my early days. What do you do when a wrestler really starts confronting you? Like they get in your face in a match and you're trying to tell them, hey, look, that was a three count. Hey, you got to let go by the count of five or you're DQ'd. Like, and then they get right... Well, for a perfect example, you know, Cayman Pro, like, yeah. or, you know, even the snitch, for example, who basically just gets in everybody's face. You can get in my face all day. That's nice. You're ultimately going to do what the rules state, which is what I'm going to enforce. I'm not there to be the, the baddest guy in the room. That's up to the guys in the ring. I'm there to enforce the rules, count the pain, count the five, count the ten. If you're still holding on to that hold, you get to five, I ring the bell, that's on you, not on me. If you're out of the ring, you want to get in my face, that's fine. I'm wearing the stripes and, you know, the the committees or, the, or the whoever's in charge of the promotion is going to have to deal with you afterwards. Be it a fine, suspension, whatever. But you're not getting that over on me. The first time you were in a professional wrestling locker room. Mm-hmm. You know, your very first time, what was it going, what was going through your mind, you know, or the, was there adrenaline kicking in? You're like, Oh gosh, like, you know, getting okay, a little jitters. So, should I tell you the story of when I was younger and training as a wrestler or should we'll I go by one. as an adult? Okay. So I was, I was 17 
Oh, boy. And we were at, it was an outdoor show at a city park. So we're in the locker room of the city pool and we would walk in. There's all these guys who were, you know, around my age now and they're all larger than live characters and it was super intimidating. It's like, this is weird. And I'd only <laughs> been training for like three weeks. And what I was doing, I was there that night. I was, uh, one, I was doing the get back crowd because it was an outdoor show. There was no barrier. So I was like, hey, guys, get back, get back, get back. You know, and working basic security, just making sure that no one tried to, because there was no actual rail, it was a rope. Just making sure that everybody was able to stay back and not getting in the ring and all that stuff. But I was so deer in headlights for that, that it was like, I'm actually here. <laughs> as far <laughs> as now, um, I was lucky enough that I became friends with a lot of these guys before I started training or before I got you know, back into the business before I jumped in. And uh, it was just like hanging out with my friends, thankfully. I, this time there was no real intimidation or freaking out. Um, there was nerves, of course, because you are going in front of people. But that first show was a ref. It was just like, hey, I'm here with my friends. Let's have fun and let's go. First time I was in the locker room, it was kind of a mixture of the of both, you know, I've been going to Dynamo Pro shows for so many years. I've been going to shows at South Broadway. I've been going to Glory Pro, Anarchy. So I've been around a lot of these guys as far as seeing them wrestle, you know. And I've been thankful to talk with a lot of them after the show. How years ago, you know, when I did the Jeremy Carp show, I, I had interviewed Adrian Surge and Camaro Jackson, you know. So, but still, when you're going into that locker room and you see all these guys, it's just like it's a whole new ball game. It really is. Well, the one thing I will say is that there is a definite change mm -hmm. from it's like Clark Kent and Superman. You know, I'm not gonna say they're 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 actual factual names, but seeing the person that is Adrian Surge and Camaro Jackson versus Camaro Jackson and Adrian Surge is different people. And it's like a, a switch that flips. It's like, oh, we're in game mode now. This right. isn't the person that I normally talk to. This is this is him now. So let's act like that. Let's go out there. Let's let's do the thing. Let's do the oh, wrestling. I, yeah. And you know, and you do this long enough, you're a part of it long enough. And it's wrestling to me, being a part of the industry is all about paying your dues. Mm -hmm. And Let's just be honest. Let's just face it. Anything that involves constructing or deconstructing the ring is the worst part of the entire night or day. Yeah. But there it's is, one of the most important. <laughs> yes, because you got to get it in there. You got to get out of there. There's no fun part about set up or tear down. Um, I would say I'm lucky in that I work most of the time in my shoot job when setup is going on. Teardown, I'm there for. I we see each other there. I was gonna say that I'm part. there with Teardown too, and I'm but yeah. set up, I'm not able to make yeah. it. I would if I could, I just can't. But I do help right. with teardown, and it's after the at the end of the night where your body's hurting, you're sore, you've been running around all night, you're sweaty, you just want to shower. If you haven't in the back, if you some people just shower in the back, I don't because I mean I don't really like locker room showers. <laughs> I like my own shower. But 
lugging all those two by fours and boards and, you know, tearing the ropes down and pulling the mat off. It's like, this sucks, but <laughs> we got to do it. I think one of, uh, one of the worst moments for me when it came to tearing down the ring. And you know, what's funny. And I'm sure you'll remember this was the very first dynamo show I did. Mm-hmm. And here I am, you know, the wood that's under the ring. People think it's like a trampoline on this ring. This ring is not a trampoline. The ring hurts like hell. Okay, let me just tell you right now. Like, if you all really saw what's under this wrestling ring, you'd be like, how do they bounce off this shit? Like, and so we were dragging the pieces of wood onto the cart. And there was nobody getting the other end for me. So it literally dropped right on my foot vertically. So instead of just the side hitting, the top went right on my foot. And yeah. I remember uh, Robo asking, he's like, are you, or and Luke and them, they were like, are you okay? I was like, ah, yeah, fine. Because I kept telling myself, I was like, I've been through worse. And besides, did you not see the show you, they put on? Like all the hard work they just did? Like, yeah. I, I did not, I had like no right to eat. I felt like I was like, I ain't got no right to complain about something dropping on my foot. Are you kidding me? Like this, these guys are this, doing power bombs off the side injury. of the apron. Right. Yeah. This is my ring injury. My botch mania. Like, are you shitting yeah. me? Like, no, I'm not going to complain. I, and I honestly don't know guys played football since he's seven years old. I've dealt with worse. Believe yeah. me. So, and, you know, <laughs> like injuries and stuff. What amazes me is you'll see some of these guys like hobble into the locker room. But once that bell rings, lights turn off, they can run out there and the adrenaline kicks in. Like, again, respect that adrenaline's a hell of a drug once you get going. And once you know it's go time, you know, it, it is go time. Nothing, you don't feel anything. Oh, absolutely. You just don't really, you really don't. Cause that's the thing, the adrenaline just kicks in so much. You forget about everything else. Like that's that's how I feel honestly when I do when I play football with my friends or when I'm doing commentary or something because I just say to myself I'm focused on so much of one thing. Something else happens, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing so much. And you know, I've seen you get in the face of so many wrestlers, and I've seen them knock you down a few times. But I say to myself, he's still got so much adrenaline in him. Like, you can't keep Christopher Miles down forever. Hey, but I've knocked some of them down, too. I'm just saying. Yes, you have. Now, there's one thing outside the ring that I have now, and I've seen you at the events with these all the time. People don't know this about you, but you got quite the jersey collection. Yes, yes. You got quite the sports jersey collection. And for those that don't know, I mean, we're talk- we're not talking like just St. Louis Blues or, you know, Cardinals or chiefs or whatnot i mean we're talking quebec nordiques the original anaheim mighty ducks i mean we are heart you at the last dynamo show you wore the hartford whalers one which is personally my favorite so my my jersey philosophy and what i strive to what i my goal was i wanted to have every blues jersey and i have all but one i'm missing one and i will find it one day Uh, the, the word mark with the word blues over it from 1984. Oh. I don't have that one. If anyone has it, let me know for a decent price. And I wanted to have every defunct team. So I have Atlanta Flames, Atlanta Thrashers, Quebec Nordiques. Now, the Ducks jersey I have is from the movie. It's a Charlie Conway jersey. 
And uh, I have Vancouver Millionaires, Seattle Metropolitans, uh, yeah, California Golden Seals, Cleveland Barons. I have uh, the St. Louis Eagles, the original St. Louis NHL team. I have all those. Uh, I don't think I'm missing any defunct teams other than the original Ottawa Senators because it's almost the same as the Ottawa Senators third jersey. The current Ottawa Senators, like, I can't have that. Right. It's an actual New Jersey. You're right. What, um, what got you into wanting all of these jerseys? Um, so <laughs> I hate wearing jackets. When it's cold outside, I don't like wearing a coat. I, I just don't. And I found that hockey jerseys are great installation. They're, they they're are. the material's great to keep you warm. And I love hockey. I love the St. Louis Blues. So I started wearing Blues jerseys. And then I looked at how cool some of the designs for the teams that no longer exist are. Like you said, that Hartford Whalers jersey is beautiful. That Minnesota North Stars jersey is beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Kansas City Scouts jersey, it's amazing. So I'm like, some of these are really cool. Some of these are god-awful ugly. Like, as much as I love the Quebec Nordiques logo, that powder blue and that igloo design are not pretty. But I had to have it. (laughs) I love the logo. The logo has always been one of my favorite um, logos in sports, especially defunct teams. Now, here's one. Here's a jersey that... um, I'm curious if you have. It's not NHL, but it is uh, Taki. The River Otters. Do you have Missouri River Otters? No, and I wish I would have bought that or a St. Charles Chill one when the both teams existed. I have a St. Charles Chill shirt, but I don't because I had credentials for them. But I don't have a jersey, but I do have a shirt. And I might be able uh, to hook you up on an Otters jersey. I'll see if I can find it again. So. But uh, those, those are hard to find. And when they were available, they were just... I was priced out on those because replicas, I, I, I do not buy game official, you know, official vintage or vintage or, or authentic jerseys. You know, I buy the replicas and stuff like that. The more affordable ones. Cause I cannot drop $300 on a Jersey. I can drop 80, $90 on a Jersey, but yeah. And that, so I don't buy the on ice. I buy the replicas and they look great to me. Oh yeah. I, like I said, it's like, you know, when Cam Newton goes to the press conferences with the many different hats. I mean, you're the guy that mm-hmm. goes to the Dynamo shows or any wrestling shows with the many different jerseys. And yeah. we everybody always comments on them. And yeah, most of the time, um, they're, they're, uh, they're good compliments. I don't want to say what Rodell's been saying behind your back. but <laughs> He thinks that I have too many. He also thinks I have too many wrestling belts, but that's beside the point. Yeah, and honestly... You know, there's a very special person I was talking to earlier, and she was telling me that uh, I had too much, like, retro video game consoles and, heaven forbid, how much of my sports card collection and everything. Um, And she said that collecting is a fancy term for hoarding. I was like, yeah, but at least it's not random. Yeah, I mean, she's not wrong. Right. But on the bright side, and, I, yeah, I'm trying to swallow my pride in a minute, but I'm like, you know what? At least it's something I like. <laughs> my hoarding is organized, and unlike some coaches, exactly. I wear my jerseys. You, you, right. You've seen me. I do wear my jersey. And there's one that I want to mention. It's not a defunct team, but it ties into wrestling because I have a Calgary Hitman jersey. And I wanted to have it because Bret Hart used to be used to own the, or he is a partner in the team. And he still shows up at events. I just because it's cool because it's pink. 
You don't see any pink hockey jerseys. It has the the Jason Voorhees looking oh, Pitman yeah. on it. Yeah, I love it. I wear it all the time. <laughs> So. That's a great one. Yeah, I, you know, because that's another thing. I didn't realize, like, wait, why does he wear all these jerseys? Now I, now I know. It's like, you know what? Screw jackets. Do you get them? And honestly, yeah, hockey jerseys are some of the most insulated jerseys. And um, they're comfortable. They are. They're really comfortable. Yeah. For me, I, you know, I have a couple autographed football jerseys that I'm never, mm-hmm. like, obviously going to wear. They're still in the bag, in the box. I keep them. Yeah. St- I mean, I've looked at them, but because they're two of my favorite offensive linemen, J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio, of course. Sadly, but uh, Treader got released yesterday. But anyway, yeah, I, jerseys are very well insulated and comfortable, and they look badass. Especially, yeah. I feel like retro teams or re- like retro jerseys from like when I was a kid and when you were younger. Like those were the cool logos. Those yes. were the really sick, awesome, badass look. Like Denver Nuggets, the original Nuggets logo is one of top five in all of sports. I and love you, it. And you look at jerseys that were considered super ugly when we were younger that are highly sought after now. Like everybody loves the uh the nineties retro blues jersey now. Yeah. The the blue with the red stripe. That they, they, right. they don't like the reverse retro with the red, but everyone loves that jersey now. In 95, everyone hated that thing. <laughs> they it now wasn't like, it oh, wasn't yeah, them. I gotta, yeah. I got to have that now. Yeah, thanks for caring now. Yeah. Now you give a crap. Okay. Well, just yeah. for that we're going to mark it up some more. We'll see how much you really care. Yes. Like I think the perfect example, oh, well, behind me the um aha the old Cardinals logo right there. Yeah, that, I love that. Yeah. That's one of my uh favorite logos right there. And I love looking like over here I have a poster of a whole bunch of all 32 NFL teams. This was literally from the first year when the Texans joined the league. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's got uh, a logo on there that's not appropriate in 2022, but that's beside the point. Um you got some other pretty cool logos on there. Um otherwise. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. like look I look mean the, the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals is a perfect one. Yeah. Look at going back to hockey, look at the Islanders Fisherman. Most yes. hated logo in sports when it came out. Now, if you, if you put that if that was the new reverse retro for the Islanders, it would sell out. Oh, People absolutely. People would be all over that. Because it's just make like old and it weird like it's like what uh Roddy Piper once said. Old school's cool. Like there's just this yeah, you, you know, it may be corny, but there's this just appeal to it that we we hold near and dear. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't. If the Blues wore the the old retro from '95, like mm-hmm. permanently, no, nah, I'd be like, eh, I don't know about all that, fam. But <laughs> when they bring it back occasionally, I'm like, guys, this brings back memories. This is so cool. Yes. Like, that's there's the thing. There's Brett Hall and Wayne Gretzky, right? And if we're lucky, not Mike Keenan. Yes. If we're lucky enough, although we can he drink. did. He did save us from the trumpet jersey, just saying. Uh, okay, we'll give – you know, it's kind of sad. the one thing you can say about Mike Keenan. Well, that's the one positive thing you can say about Mike Keenan. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if the one thing positive you can say about his co- about a coach is regarding the jerseys, there is quite an issue there. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I hate Mike Keenan, but <laughs> he didn't get that jersey, so – um, so Chris, it's been, it's been awesome having you on. I got to ask you one more question before I let you go, because we have a lot of breaking news to cover and our insider James Knox is definitely waiting. 
So, but I got one more question mm-hmm. I want to ask you. Right. Okay. So, what is the best advice that you, Christopher Miles, could give out there to anybody in general who's trying to accomplish something that they love doing? Strive to do it. Don't let your own anxiety get in your way. Because if you have a drive, you have a desire, if you strive towards something, you can make it happen. And as far as the wrestling business is concerned, you can see right here on the page, my socials, Twitter and Instagram at one, two, one underscore two underscore three miles. Uh, you're going to hear every show I'm on for weeks before I'm on it. And I mentioned before in other shows, not enough people do that. And I get people telling me, hey, we appreciate the fact that you promote as much as you do. And it gets me more notoriety. It gets me better bookings. And if you're in this business and you're not promoting and you're not out there selling yourself, what are you doing? And I'll tell you right now, talking about coming up shows, uh, March 26th, Concordia Turner's Dynamo Pro Lethal Lottery. The championship matches, the Dynamo Pro Heavyweight Championship match and the Tag Team Championship match determined by a random lottery. It's going to be a lot of fun. Who will challenge for the tag titles with ACM? Who will challenge Camaro Jackson for the heavyweight title? We won't know until that night, until that drawing's done. And then later on uh, April 9th, MMWA, we have a lumberjack match. We have Benjamin Trust versus Damian Blade, wrestlers around the ring, South Broadway Athletic Club for the MMWA heavyweight championship. Like I said, that's going to be great. April 9th, South Broadway Athletic Club. March 26th, Concordia Turner's Dynamo Pro, Lethal Lottery. Come see me. Come see all the stars of Dynamo Pro, of MMWA. Come support local wrestling because we need you to be there for us to venture out. I couldn't have said it any better myself. And I look forward to when we can do this again right here on Roundabout Sports. So, ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Miles here on Roundabout Sports. It is a pleasure, as always, to talk to you, and I look forward to seeing you on March 26th. Yes, sir. Good night, everybody. Good night. What an amazing guy and extremely talented, and I love that motivation he gave to anybody at the end because he's absolutely right on all accounts. You know, you got to strive to do what you do, and trust me, anxiety is an absolute pain in the ass, but we cannot let it get to us. And folks, we have next up. First, I also want to say if you're looking, if you're a small business, because on top of supporting local wrestling, we here at Interstate 70 Sports Media promote local businesses. We support local, you know, mom and pop places. We're not going big old corporate. You're not going to see us at Walmart trying to get advertising, but we want to get advertising from you because we want to support your business, what you do. So if you want to advertise, whether it be on this program, on Talking Dynasty with Adam Frex, if you want to be on the Facebook page, on the Twitter account, anywhere on our socials, even on our website, especially on our website, get in contact with me, uh, Jeremy Carp. You know, there's my Twitter handle, that jcarpsportsfan1. Um, you can find Adam Frex. You can just uh, DM Talking Dynasty. You can message us on our Interstate 70 Sports Media Facebook page or our Twitter account. And we would love to set up something and talk with you because it would benefit you tremendously. We would love nothing more than to help all these local businesses grow. 
With that said, folks, it is time to head to the I-70 Sports Media Southeast studio where we have our sports insider James Knox waiting because there was a lot to talk about in baseball, stuff that actually had happened that I had noticed right before we went on air, but he will do a lot more justice explaining it than I will. So, James, welcome back. Hey, yo. Amen, brother. Hey, yo, indeed. <laughs> I, had How to, are you, James? I, had to, I had to give it to you. Had, I absolutely had to. I love I love hearing that. So, all right, what do you got for it? What's the biggest breaking news you can uh, dish out? What is this on Chris Bryant, I hear, with the Rockies? Yeah, as if any of us ever saw this one coming, right? Um, so, yeah. That and actually, that's not the the newest one. Jock Peterson, and this is going to sting Cardinal fans. Jock Peterson has signed a deal with the San Francisco Giants. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, so the Rockies sign uh, former NL MVP Chris Bryant to a seven year, one hundred eighty two million dollar contract, and uh, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna thrive in that thin air in Colorado. So. Uh, he's a versatile player. Obviously, he's 30 years old, uh, had a, a, a decent season coming over uh, to the Giants last year, and he'll stay in the NL West as he's uh, inked that deal with the Colorado Rockies. I think, you know, it's amazing for me to think about, though, when it comes to Chris Bryant, because the Cardinals literally, or I should say the Rockies, literally traded away $51 million and Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals so they can spend $182 million on Chris Bryant over seven years. Now, somebody in that front office, they better fire their accountant or something because math is not good in the Colorado Rockies organization. But then again, neither is their record. Well, and, and the general, yeah, and the general manager who decided to send Arenado and the $50 million to the Cardinals, he's no longer there. So maybe this is just a change in their business plan. But, you know, this is this is coming from an organization that refused to, to offer Trevor's story an extension you know, prior to him becoming a free agent as well. So, you know, that one kind of shocked me. I didn't see the fact that uh, Colorado would be willing to go out on the market and get a get a big-time player like Chris Bryant. I think it's also interesting because Bryant, you know, um, I believe Story's 29 years old, whereas Chris Bryant's 30 years old. And, you know, I feel like the Rockies had, obviously, Chris Bryant, you know, former MVP, solidified star, but normally you would think focusing on your own team talent first, then by using having Trevor story on your team, you could convince Bryant even more so to join instead of maybe he would have been able to join on a lesser money deal being like, Hey, we got Trevor story. We can really win something. Right. And I I would think, you know, I, I get that Colorado's trying to make a splash here with this deal, but you know, as much as they need, offense and, and power hitting in that ballpark. I mean, you obviously need to find ground ball pitchers as well. I've kind of been surprised that you're going to go out and spend this kind of money on, on one player instead of trying to sprinkle it around and, and help with your rotation as well. But yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. You know, if you go out and you talk to a Trevor story and say, Hey, look, you know, we're going to bring in this player or we're looking at bringing in a slugger, somebody who can kind of compliment you in the lineup. Maybe you talk him into that, that, that bridge deal instead of hitting free agency, but I'm kind of with you. It just, it's, it's out of the norm for Colorado to do this as well. I mean, I guess maybe they feel like they just have to, they have to try to do something to bring fans to the ballpark. I mean, at this point for them, anything would, uh, would work. Now 
Also, this is something that I was able to keep track of earlier this afternoon. I know um, Adam Frex at the I-70 Sports West studio did as well. Zach Greinke is joining back to the good old Kansas City Royals on a one-year deal. Now, the Royals had not been making a lot of noise in a free agency or any type of moves up till today. And they had acquired another left-handed pitcher from the Cincinnati Reds in the trade. And But by getting Zach Greinke... And they trade away um, Mike Miner and uh, cash considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, having Granky, you know, still he's in his mid thirties, early mid thirties, but at the same time, still a very solid arm, one of the top guys on the free agent market. And by getting him at a one year deal, this gives guys in the minor league organization time to prepare. You know, what are your thoughts on the signing, James? I, I like it. Um, and I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but with the Reyes news and the Flaherty news, I would have hoped that the Cardinals would have checked in. Not So you hear the reports, and by all by all reports, Zach Greinke's a good guy, but he's quirky. I think that's probably the best way to put it. He's a, he's a quirky fella. And, you know, whether or not he wanted to, wanted to come to St. Louis, that obviously we don't know that. Um, but I would hope that the Cardinals would have checked in on that. I like the signing. It's a one-year $13 million deal. You're right with the uh, Royals. Uh, sending Mike Miner to Cincinnati in that deal where they acquired Amir Garrett. Um, I, I think this is, I mean, you, you've got you've got somebody, Granky's not going to blow you away, but he's still crafty. And last year going 11 and six, he had a 4.16 earn run average for the Astros. He threw 171 innings. And, you know, again, that harkens back to what I say about the Cardinals. That's something you could have used. I mean, the Cardinals are going to need innings. And, and Granky has been, for the most part, healthy in his career. I do like the, I, I do like the signing for the Royals. Um, and you're right with it being a one-year deal. All it does is allows the younger arms in their minor league system, you know, to get seasoned and be ready for the majors next year in 2023. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, you had just alluded to it earlier about the Cardinals. Take us more in depth on what exactly is going on with Alex race and Jack Flaherty. It seems like these are, situations and we've and you've done a great job reporting on on it but it seems like these are recurring problems that both of them have been dealing with in their careers and quite frankly you know you wonder what the organization is going to do well i think the problem is is this lockout did more than just keep guys from reporting to spring training on time it also meant that the trainers and the doctors could not talk to those who were injured last year and alex reyes i don't know man i mean we had a we had a stint there where he threw what four and a third innings and over a course of two and a half years, um, apparently with Reyes, uh, it is, it's a shoulder still. He's having some, uh, inflammation. Uh, they're going, they injected it today and they're going to start him on a throwing program on Friday. Uh, we haven't heard anything new about Flaherty. He went for further examination yesterday. He spoke to the media this morning, didn't have a whole lot to say about it, but you could tell by his mannerisms that, uh, I don't think we're going to get good news out of Flaherty. Um, it was reported that Reyes is going to miss at least a month, so he won't be there uh, come opening day. Uh, Flaherty, I'm guessing, with the news and, and the way he was kind of his mannerisms this morning, I'm guessing he's not going to be there for opening day either. And I, I don't know what you do. If you get news that, you know, Flaherty is only going to miss a month, maybe you go with a Jake Woodford uh, as your fifth starter. Uh, you know, he can spot start within that month. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, you've got – you signed Drew Verhagen, uh, and I know I had to look him up too. Um, you know, 
out of out of Japan, but apparently, you know, Mo says that he could be a uh, a spot starter or a swing guy. So maybe you go with him. Mo also did say on on um, High Heat earlier today that with the recent news coming out pitching wise, that they're going to have to look in and may have to make a move in the market before the season begins. And do you feel, especially with, I mean, obviously you can't predict when an injury is going to happen. You can't do that in any sport at any time. But given the history that's going on with the rotation, everybody but Wainwright is coming off some sort of injury the prior season. You know, you got Flaherty, you got Reyes, uh, Miles Michaelis, Dakota Hudson, even um, their new acquisition, Steven Matz. And, you know, Wainwright's the only solid guy heading into 2022 now do, do you feel and i'm actually going to give you the floor on this one so i'm going to back out like i'll still be here but like i want to give your thoughts get your thoughts on what the cardinals should have done in your mind this offseason to address this rotation which still you know just a couple weeks away from the season has so many big question marks well i'm kind of a, on the opinion that i'm the kind of let's kill the fly with the sledgehammer kind of guy so, obviously, you look at your rotation. You knew coming in, you were looking at Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, uh, Stephen Matz, Dakota Hudson. Uh, there was talk of stretching Reyes out to be a starter. There's still talk of apparently stretching out Jordan Hicks to be a starter. But you needed to go out and get more starting pitching help, whether it had been a Colin McHugh who uh, signed, I believe, with the Braves earlier today. Um, you know, there were guys out there that could help you. I mean, there's – there's still Zach Davies out there. I guess if you wanted to go a cheaper route, he had an okay season with the Cubs, but his his ground ball percentage plays better inside Bush Stadium than it did, you know, in Wrigley Field uh, and with the Brewers in Miller Park. So I would think that when it comes down to it, the Cardinals needed to go out. They needed to go out and get more starting pitching. Uh, they went out and got depth guys, but the problem with depth guys is a lot of times the reason they're on the market and we like to refer to it as low hanging fruit is because they're not very good or they're unproven. And, you know, many coaches have said over the years, the potential is French for has, well, haven't done shit. So, you know, that's kind of where you're looking at. Um, Ultimately you knew what you had, I guess, maybe if you, if he's ready, he goes out and throws his, you know, throws his, his tail off in spring training and he looks great. You can bring up a Matthew Liberator, but you know, you don't want to put him on the same route as a Johan Oviedo uh, over the last couple of years where he was just he was brought up too soon and didn't have the chance to develop. So uh, ultimately, the Cardinals needed to look at the market better. I mean, Jake Odorizzi is still out there. Of course, the Highland native um, grew up a Cardinals fan. I would check in on him as well. Uh, apparently, Houston is interested in moving him. He doesn't really fit well in Houston. The contract is manageable. Let's face it, it's not like the Cardinals don't have the money to go out and make these deals. They've just decided to sit on their wallets and, and not really go out and spend money. Now, you know, a lot of people wanted, uh, you know, them to go out and spend money on a DH, whether it be Schwarber or a Jock Peterson. Well, Schwarber's a Philly and Peterson's a Brave, or Peterson's a Giant, rather. Uh, the Cardinals need to go out. that They need to extend uh, offers to some of these pitchers that are still out on the market. I know that there are, there are guys out there. I'm trying to remember the uh, – Trying to remember uh, the uh, there's a starter. Why can't I think of his name? Um, it'll come to me in just a second. That the he former Yankee, former twin. Uh, I mean, go out there and uh, you know try to make a try to make a move and get get pitching into camp now because ultimately you're going to have guys that are unproven or not going to make the squad throwing in spring training games because you don't want to get anybody else hurt. 
So, you know, that's kind of what I would do. And, you know, when you look at the rest of the division, do you feel that the Cardinals are the team that have made the least amount of significant moves in trying to improve their team? I do. Um, I mean, obviously, if you if you look at the Cincinnati Reds, they've torn everything down. I don't care what I, I don't care what their general manager says. This is not a rebuild. Well, I mean, they've they've pretty much got rid of everybody. So in terms of making significant moves on the positive, yes. Uh, you know, the Cubs at least, you know, went out and, you know, have have made offers and tried to, you know, make their squad better. It's just tough because we are what? I guess this is we're we're about a week, almost a week coming out of this lockout. And it seems like everybody that the Cardinals chasing everybody, uh, you know, so the Reds, obviously, they're not they're not really in a, in a mode to compete. They're, they're kind of tearing that down, which I feel bad for Joey Votto. The Pirates were never in a situation to compete or tear down because they didn't have anything in the cupboard anyway. I really feel like even though the Cardinals haven't really gone out and done a whole lot or anything really other than the Stephen Matz deal prior to the lockout to really improve their team, I still feel like they're going to compete with Milwaukee for this division. My problem is, is once you get to October, even with the expanded playoffs now, are you trying to win in October? Or are you just trying to get there? So. Yeah, very much. And and that's one thing that's really happened a lot lately. You know, the Cardinals went from competing, going back to back with the Giants, World Series, NLCS, World Series, NLCS, year in, year out, to, hey, look, we're in the wild card. Maybe we'll win it. Maybe we won't. Oh, we went to the NLDS. Sweet. And that means we did better than the year before. We don't have to improve our team. It seems like – and. You know, for people that saying we have high expectations, okay, it's the St. Louis Cardinals. Why wouldn't you have high expectations? This is, you know, we're not talking like we are the Washington Nationals of old, you know, prior to their World Series win. We're not talking about we're the Miami Marlins. We're the St. Louis Cardinals where winning is a part of the history. You know, it's been almost, if not over, 100 years since they finished in dead last in the league. And I'm telling you right now, the biggest thing that I have an issue with is when DeWitt said that they're pretty well set on their roster. Now that brings up two questions that um, I know you've been keeping tabs on. What does this mean about what they're going to do at DH? Does it mean Pujols isn't coming to the team? And where do they stand in the whole sweepstakes of Trevor Story? Because I know the Yankees were interested, although the Gary Sanchez deal um, really switched their whole infield and their team around. Then you got Houston, but the whole situation with Correa, um, you know, they're still trying to get him back. So where do the Cardinals stand on the designated hitter and where they're at with um, Trevor Story? Yeah, I, I think with Trevor's story where there's smoke, there's fire. And and Michael Pineda was the the free agent pitcher I was talking about, maybe going out and getting. I think where there's smoke, there's fire when it comes to Trevor's story. Now, we've all been told, I mean, even prior to the Arenado uh, trade that Moe and, uh, and Gersh made with the Colorado Rockies, we were kind of told, ah, we're just going to sit. We're, we're pretty happy with our roster. And we had heard the smoke on Arenado for, what, two, three years. And then, you know, on that cold January night, the next thing you know, Arenado is a, a St. Louis Cardinals. So, you know, it, it's tough, um, but apparently it's still in, in – the Yankees probably have the money to spend, uh, but the Cardinals 
uh, the Yankees, there were two other teams. Seattle was one that was interested. Uh, of course, they made the big trade with the uh, the Reds getting uh, Jesse Winkler from Cincinnati. Uh, so, you know, I don't I don't know where they sit. Uh, you really haven't heard much more about it. The last couple of days have been silent on the Trevor Story sweepstakes, although I would have to think that the Cardinals, even if even if you are because of the Young's contract, want to keep him on the squad. He he could be a DH. You could rotate him and uh, him and Gorman. Um, you know, depending on your right left matchups. Designated hitter wise, I think they're looking internally. Uh, you know, I thought if they were going to go out and get Schwarber or interested in a big bat like that, it would have been Schwarber. It would have been Jock Peterson. Now both are off the market. Uh, so when when I look at it, you know, other than maybe a a Trevor story coming in and a DeYoung as your DH, or they're just going to stick with DeYoung at shortstop. And it's going to be Gorman against righties and Juan Yepes against lefties, which I don't think any of us are going to be very happy about. You have Lars Newtbar as well that, you know, he had a, a killer Arizona fall league um, was an all-star out there. So you, you have, you have some pop, but Newtbar is not your prototypical left-handed power hitter. Nolan Gorman now in the minor, he killed it uh in in the minors in Springfield I think he had, before uh the season ended there before he was done there had close to 30 home runs I mean he's got big league pop but you know whether or not you're talking about a double a ballpark and double a pitching and all of that will will that translate to the majors I, I just I wish the Cardinals would pull the trigger on a deal I think with the Reyes and Flaherty news it's going to be more off of the DH and more off the focus offensively and looking at what you can do to shore up your pitching staff and, and maybe a a bench player that can help your defense maybe like a Colin Moran I know that uh last year they had the best defense in the National League if not in baseball and pitching was solid but i know that they cannot get through another especially a full 162 game season where it is where you will have maybe three or four solid starters and then the next game you're going to just have a bullpen by committee type start where each uh, each pitcher will maybe go three innings if not even less i mean that's not something you can afford to do because there's not met the cardinals were among the bottom teams in quality starts last season and for them to really compete, I feel like that's going to need a change because they're going to need a big advantage because they haven't done much for the offense because they've kept pretty much the whole same pieces. And, you know, it's like you said, we will find out what the extent is of Flaherty. We already know that Reyes is going to be out for a while. Um, whether they go back and get Colin Moran, you know, that would be a big boost for the team. But... The season's drawing near, and there is still so many question marks on this roster. And, you know, it's not the, the way I look at the National League Central, it's not the toughest division in baseball, but the discrepancy between the bottom and the top is so vast. You know, usually you got a division where every team is the, the AL East is a perfect example of this. Every team was so close, well, except for Baltimore, but every other team was so close last season. You know, it was about two games that separated four teams. But in the NL Central, you got usually the Pirates and the Reds, and then you got the Cubs, Cardinals, and Brewers that are way up top. The Cardinals have to make sure that they are ready to compete along against teams like the Brewers and the Cubs. And like you had said earlier, James, 
It's not just about getting to October. It has to be about winning in October because teams like the Dodgers are stocking up more than they have in a long time. You just talked about uh, Jock Peterson going to the uh, Giants. And look at the rotation of the New York Mets right now. You know, like where you got DeGrom and you got Scherzer, and they're just they're ready to roll. Having Schwarber going um, and to the Phillies is big. So this National League is no joke. And if you're the Cardinals, you can only rely on what's within your organization for so long until you finally say, hey, look, okay, we need to get something done and we need to get it done now. Right. And, and they don't give away trophies for winning the NL Central. Um, no. They don't give away trophies for, you know, being, the, I guess, one of the wild cards now since we've expanded to 12 teams. You know, and, and that's the problem. Is I, I think that a lot of Cardinal fans see the Cardinals in the organization not making a move is not trying or they're not being effort there. Don't confuse that with the fact that the players and the coaches aren't trying. Okay. Um, you know, and that they do want to win in October. It's the front office and the organization. I know a lot of people hold uh, Mo John Mazalak in a, a very bad light because he doesn't go out and make this move or that move. But let's, let's remember that the DeWitts do own this team. So his, his, those, those purse strings are tied. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't want him to go out and make a move or that I shouldn't, that he shouldn't. I mean, you, you look at guys like Eddie Rosario, who was a big postseason hero with the Braves last year. He resigned with the Braves. You know, that's a guy that could have helped you off the bench, could have been a left-handed DH. He could have platooned in the outfield, could have given days off, you know, um, not that I expected, you know, the Cardinals to go out and make a trade for Matt Chapman or Matt Olson, which it looks like Olson's going to replace Freddie Freeman in Atlanta is now Freeman is a free agent. And unfortunately for us Cardinal fans, it looks like Freeman is headed to the West coast. You know, he's been, there's been a lot of rumors saying that he's going to sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Dodgers don't need any help bolst, you know, boosting or bolstering their lineup. And, you know, you look at their lineup, you had a, a big bat like Freddie Freeman with that rotation. It's already strong. They did re-sign Clayton Kershaw, which he's in the twilight of his career. But having Kershaw as a four or five starter, I mean, that just shows how deep that team is. And the Cardinals are still sitting there just kind of watching everybody pass them up. And you can't do that. You've got to be able to stay in the fight and stay in the race when it comes to free agency. And like I said, we're we're almost a week out of this lockout. And the Cardinals have just not pulled the trigger on other, you know, on anybody other than three, you know, minor league pitchers that have all major league experience and, and Verhagen coming back from Japan. But, you know, you need proven talent. And it's not necessarily a great sign for the Cardinals. And, and back to your point about Pujols and the designated hitter, you know, what I've read and what I've seen and who I've talked to, it's kind of 50-50. You know, 50% of the people want him back. The other are like, hey, can we just move on? I would still like to have him on the bench. One is a leader and two, man, he can still kill left-handed pitching. Absolutely. Well, James, thank you so much. I know for those that uh, don't know, James hosts a show on I-70 Sports Media called Knox's Corner. He keeps track of all the latest news going on. And obviously, right now, the big thing is going on about Major League Baseball. But don't worry. He knows a lot about wrestling, football. He keeps track of all the sports. He is our insider, and we are so blessed to have him as part of our team, our family. 
And I'm not very, I'm not very happy right now. Slew's playing in the NIT against Northern Iowa, and right now the uh, Northern Iowans boat racing them out of Shafed. So I'm not very happy. As I keep looking over at the TV, checking the score, I'm like, oh, you're down 15 now. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's definitely not the uh, most wonderful night for Slew. I'll tell you that right now. And then, in two, but... and then in two days, I can rip up my bracket when Illinois loses to UT Chattanooga. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say this right now before I let you go. I put Georgia State, Georgia State's my dad's uh, former college. My dad's an alumnus of Georgia State University. I put them the beat <laughs> Gonzaga <laughs> just for the hell of it. I got to go with the, got to get that one upset. So I doubt happens, they're going to do it, but. If that happens, I'm definitely tearing up my bracket. I have Gonzaga winning. So if that definitely happens, kudos to your dad and I'm done. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, James, thank you so much for being on, buddy. I can't wait to talk to you later and just keep up all the amazing work you do. You got it, brother. God bless. James Knox with Interstate 70 Sports Media, an absolutely uh, wonderful guy, works his absolute ass off to get the job done. And I gratefully respect all the work he has done to help Interstate 70 Sports Media grow each and every day. Well, folks. That's going to about do it for this week's episode. Um, Of course, as always, I'm going to put the National Suicide Hotline at the bottom of the screen. Um, It's 1-800-273-8255. It's open 24-7, 365, 366 on a leap year. Um, Just know that you're never alone. There's always somebody out there that loves you. Um, I'm grateful that you all were tuning in this evening. And I'm looking forward to doing this again next week. Like I said, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, for Roundabout Sports, for Interstate 70 Sports Media. Be sure to check out Talking Dynasty tomorrow night with Adam Frex. And until then, folks, always remember, life is a book full of empty pages just waiting to be written in. Make your lives worth reading. This is Jeremy Carp saying goodnight.